Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast Rookie Snapshot Series. This is episode four. We're calling it Wild Cards, Best of the Rest, also a suitable title. I am here with Yahoo NFL Draft expert Eric Edholm. Eric, are you ready? The NFL Draft's in one week. I mean, nobody knows that better than you, obviously. (laughs) Time doesn't matter a lot these days to me. I mean, my head's been sort of thrown in the blender a little bit. But yes, it, it matters to my editors. And so getting all my writing done before then will be exciting let me say it that way oh i understand that i have many (laughs) many snapshots that are on a very interesting and strict schedule jason i know you're listening to this you're the best i love you don't worry about it okay (laughs) so that was a shout out to my we have different bosses mine is named jason um but this week you know we've been getting some feedback we did running backs we did wide receivers we did quarterbacks but obviously There are more than 15 prospects that are interesting in this year's draft. So we wanted to add another episode and discuss our favorite prospects across positions we haven't talked about this year. So we're going to talk about four and then end it with one of the biggest breakouts, uh, Kyle Pitts. And I, I think that I'm interested to hear who you've comped him to because it should be easier than it is. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, I guess when you're a unicorn, it's pretty hard to find a comps, but I found a player that I, that I think works pretty well for him. Good. Same with me. Same with me. All right. But let's kick things off with a running back. We're going to discuss Chuba Hubbard out of Oklahoma state. Now you think Oklahoma state cool, but he's not from the South. He's not even from the States. He grew up in a suburb of Edmonton, which is in Alberta, Canada. Uh, So instead of wanting to play hockey, Like the rest of his peers, he wanted to play football. He was also a world-class sprinter, which I mentioned, because when we talk about his skill set, that is a piece of it. His sprinter's ability obviously comes through. Um, He did place fourth overall in the 100-meter sprint, and that was in the 2015 Summer IAAF World Youth Championship. So a world-class sprinter. He got a bunch of offers everywhere from Alabama to Oregon, but he decided to go to Oklahoma State. He redshirted his first year, but really it wasn't until his redshirt sophomore season that he broke out, had a massive 2019, decided not to declare for the NFL draft, which might not have been the best strategy because in 2020, his number of touches, his efficiency both waned. So he's seen his draft stock drop a little bit from where it might have been had he declared a year ago. Do you agree with that? I think that's fair to say. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of backs last year that I was frankly surprised. Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and I would put Hubbard in that mix who didn't declare. And you thought to yourself, wow, this is, this is going to be a loaded class in 2021. Hasn't exactly worked out that way. The first two guys, obviously very highly regarded, but Chuba, as you pointed out, not being as effective this past season, I think has definitely hurt his stock. I think he would have been a top, 80 or 100 pick a year ago now that's in some some doubt yeah and why do you think that is I mean let's let's say the word that comes to mind when we think about him and then maybe dig in on the pros and cons involved in his skill set yeah I wrote home run power you know he's he's got that ability to to it's not just a warning track guy I mean this this get this dude ripped off some long long runs especially in that 2019 season so that's probably the best thing he has going for him and I and I I love that he has it but I think uh, I'm a little bit worried about the the balance in his game as he 
you know, sort of too dependent on those those big running lanes. But that that home run ability is, is hard to ignore. What did, what did you have for your word? I mean, I wrote sprint. I mentioned his ability yeah. as a track and field standout earlier. Um, but to me, it's the same thing. He has sudden and long speed, all of that straight line speed, which you know, in the right situations makes for some really awesome highlight worthy plays. But when you break it down, he doesn't have much experience as a pass catcher. He wasn't. And the questions are like, when you, when you think about that, like, well, he wasn't used that way. And then you have to think, well, is it because that just wasn't part of the offensive scheme or is it because coaches knew he wasn't going to be good at it? So they didn't try to use him in a capacity that wasn't going to be serviceable. (laughs) So so there's a little wrinkle there. And I also just like, he's a little bit of a one cut wonder. It's a good way to describe him. Yeah. I mean, I I felt like, you know, his vision was pretty good as a runner. You could see him kind of spy holes when, before they opened, but yeah, I, I do worry a little bit about the fact that, yeah, there's not a whole lot of diversity to his game. But again, when you have that kind of explosive ability, that can help make up for it a little bit. Yeah, and you mentioned his vision. I think he's also pretty patient, right? He'll just sit back there and hover. And then when he finds the hole, he can get skinny through it and he can blast through it. Yep. But he can't. He doesn't really have uh, you know, the strength to push the pile either. I, I, his his um, playing style, I think, might invite a little bit too much injury. And from a fantasy perspective, again... Yeah. When you want you want a player that's going to be on the field all the time to get the highest volume of touches available, he's not particularly good at pass pro. He can't catch. I don't think he has much value on third downs, especially he won't in his first year. So I'm not quite sure from a fantasy perspective if you're going to want him. I think people are going to be lured in by that home run ability that you're talking about, but I don't think they're going to yeah. get consistent production from him enough to have for it to have been worth it. Um, what was in one interesting stat that you thought was representative of his skill set? Yeah, we mentioned the strong 2019, the weaker performance, and even in a shorter season, it wasn't the same player. He had runs of 65, 75, 84, and 92 yards, mm-hmm. all in different games, too. I mean, so this was spread out throughout the 2019 season. Some When I say home run power, that's, that's what we're talking about. Uh, last year, his long run was 32 yards. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a pretty stark you know, comparison there for you know, a guy who still played, I want to say, seven or eight games last year. So you know, that, that, that's worrisome right there that, that he seemed to lose a little bit of his juice. And part of it was because of an ankle injury that he suffered and kind of tried to play through a little bit and was in and out of the lineup there at the end of the season. But you know, part of it may have been the situation around him, perhaps. They were a heavy running team, but you know, he didn't always get those those big plays. And and also, you know, when you have a two thousand yard back coming back to school, opponents are gonna gang up on the guy. So he clearly was an area of focus for some defenses. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I also just wanted to point out that he had seven fumbles over the past two seasons. So yeah. there's and a lot he needs to work too. on here. Yeah. yeah, there's there's some some points of focus that need to be addressed. Um, overall, though, weighing the really, really good with the perhaps troublesome, where did you grade him overall? I gave him a grade of, I believe, 5.61. And again, for the for the uninitiator, if you're new to the series and or haven't seen my write-ups uh, at Yahoo Sports, I mean, that's basically, I think he's like my 150th overall player. And the definition for that grade range is he has contributor potential. So we're not talking about a day one starter. We're talking about somebody who could, in theory, be a year one contributor. Um, and I think you spelled it out perfectly. Probably more of a more of a third running back, essentially, where you know your starter might be your either you know first and second guy, first and second down guy. Your your second back would be your third down guy, and your your third running back may be the one who spells the first and second down carries. So, you know, barring injury, I don't know that he would get those starting opportunities and that, and it's just a limiting factor. You mentioned the fumbles, the, the off season, you know, some, some questions about the real diversity to his game. And that's why he comes in kind of middle of the pack towards the, the lower end. Who are the two running backs? I, I know that you have one comp, but I think you floated another one. Who are the two running backs that he reminded you of? Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, you mentioned the fumbles, you know, Devontae Booker, who who was, I think, a mid-round pick of the Broncos and, mm-hmm. and had a few flashes, but never really 
you know, he had some injuries too. That obviously was part of the equation. I think he's in New York now, but there's actually another Giants back who the more I thought of it, the more I liked as sort of a comp. And, and that's Wayne Gallman, who at Clemson was a, a, you know, big stat producer, had some home run plays, operating in a very friendly offense. So it made sense that he would, he would be productive. But really until last year after Saquon got hurt, you know, Wayne Gallman was just a guy who was on the roster for a long time. And, you know, he didn't look like a starter. He looked like somebody who was sort of struggling to find his role. And the offense certainly wasn't catered to what he did best, which, you know, you can understand for a running back, you may not want to redesign the entire thing. So I, I see some similarities, not only between the career of Wayne Gallman, but also the talent. On certain days, maybe he's fantasy relevant. On on many others, perhaps not. It doesn't bode well. My comp was Tevin Coleman, which I think is more generous than either of the two. You yep. floated no, out. Good. I would say Coleman, I was really comping off of the 2019 tape, if, if I'm right. being fully honest, right, from like most of his highlights. But what's interesting here is I say Tevin Coleman. That's obviously a Shanahan back from both Atlanta and San Francisco. Devonta Booker, you mentioned, just moved to New York. Wayne Gallman was there today, da, 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 Thursday, breaking news. Wayne yeah. Gallman now signed by the 49ers, so return to Kyle Shanahan. I bring this like weird little triumvirate up because when we're about to discuss landing spot, I don't know where this kid's gonna go. I have no idea. I mean, if there's no, <laughs> if 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 the comps in New York don't yeah. or don't maybe he comes to a player in New York and there isn't a need there or he comes to a player in San Francisco and there isn't a need there I mean you've got scouts on speed dial so you tell me because I really I have no idea where he'll end up yeah and although you know I wrote the Carolina Panthers down and we'll get to them in a second but you bring up a good point I mean the fact that the two guys that we just sort of brought up have those ties what about the New York Jets? You know, Mike LaFleur, uh, Matt's brother, is now the OC there. I would say they could certainly use some some firepower. I know we've mentioned the Jets for some other backs as possible landing yeah. spots. So I'm just, you know, that that's one of those things that if they don't address it in the first two or three rounds, I think you can get Hubbard in round four or five. So the reason that's I brought up. Exactly the point. I mean, Auntie Nerf, yeah. that's exactly the point. That's why I'm hesitant because I ho- I hope for the love of all the Jets fans who are some of the uh, loudest, let's say, on the social medias, I hope they don't wait until Chuba to get a running back because I don't think he's going to go in the first two, maybe three days. Yeah, right. I, I would say fourth, fifth, maybe even a sixth round pick. I mean, again, it's it's hard to say because the running back talent does seem to kind of drop off after a certain point. But if he were to land in New York, let's say, and, uh, you know, or, or I wouldn't say the Panthers because he'd be behind Christian McCaffrey. But the idea was that he could sort of complement what McCaffrey does well. And he took on such a heavy load at times before getting hurt. But in New York, you know, if he's only battling with, you know, some guys who have been, you know, kind of journeymen and such, I wouldn't be shocked to see him carve out a little bit of a role. So it depends on his landing spot. But overall, I'm a little a little bearish on him, I'd say. I'd agree with that. And I, again, think from a fantasy perspective without, with him lit, limited, with him limited to a two down role, I'm mm. less excited about him in fantasy. I do imagine a situation though, where he will win somebody some money in DFS. And I would watch right. those matchups, right? If I'm playing a head to head weekly matchup, there's a new conversation about Chuba than if I am drafting for redraft. I think in redraft, I'll probably ignore him unless maybe he lands with the Jets. But overall, especially in a default half-point PPR format, I want a player that's going to catch balls. So I'm with you. Yep. But speaking of a running back who's a really good pass catcher, that leads us perfectly to Demetric Felton. I don't actually know what position he plays. I don't even think he knows what position he plays. I believe he will be drafted as a wide receiver in the draft, but he has toggled between wide receiver and running back for the bulk of his career, like since before high school, you know, <laughs> yeah. throughout all of that time, he moved from wide receiver to running back his junior year at Great Oak High School. Um, he was actually born in Memphis, but he was raised in, in Southern California. And then when he committed to UCLA, he reverted back to receiver only really got some limited action via the slot. It wasn't until 2019 until, again, he started getting touches as a running back that his playing time 
felt a, a massive uptick. And really, it wasn't until Josh Kelly joined the Bolts backfield that he became the Bruins' RB1. Now, we have to point out the Chip Kelly system is a little bit different and a player like Felton might be, you know, more easily used as a weapon in, in an up-tempo spread offense like, uh, like Chip Kelly's. But um, it was in 2020 this past season that Felton really caught fire. And he also had two games. Now, albeit this was an abbreviated season, but he had two games over 30 carries a piece. The question is always like, can a kid with this size really handle the load? Again, abbreviated season, but two games back to back over 30 carries a piece. And then he did show up really well, but as a wide receiver at the senior bowl. In fact, I believe he caught the first touchdown of the senior bowl. So he is a player that I think has a lot of this, especially new era NFL gadgetry around him. He said, in fact, that his favorite player in the league was Tavon Austin. Now that's not the comp for me, but he certainly has leaned into his ability to be a bit of a Swiss army knife. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, my, my one word for him is confounding in the sense that where, where do you, where do you yeah. play him? And I, I think you're right. I think the slot receiver spot is probably where he has the best chance to succeed. Doesn't have blazing speed. He ran a four, six at his pro day. His whole pro day workout was very disappointing. His three cone drill, which is sort of the lateral uh, agility and quickness in the short area measurement. He ran like a seven, three, one. I mean, there were some offensive linemen who ran better times than that. Now, the tape, especially at the Senior Bowl practices, you know, I mean, it it really kind of opened my eyes as to how natural a pass receiver he was. And that kind of convinced me that, you know, I thought maybe at one point he could be one of those sort of Patriots running backs where you, you know what I mean, where you throw him a lot of passes and he gets, a, you know, a couple carries here and there, like a James White type of guy. But now I'm pretty sure that that slot receiver is his best home. But he can do those other things, and it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I I do find him interesting. My word was hybrid because yeah. I, I think that's truly what he is. And I'll get into the fantasy taken a little bit because I think for fantasy he might be more intriguing than you know IRL football. But first I want to hear about a stat that you really thought was illuminating for him. Yeah, I mean – you know, this past season, like you said, he was more of a running back. But when he did kind of play that combination role a little bit in and more as a receiver in 2019 and also as a returner, he had four touchdowns on the season of 75 yards or longer. We were talking about Chuba Hubbard's home run potential. You know, despite not having those great pull away wheels, he's got enough moves, enough field vision, enough sort of you know, toughness. I thought he was surprisingly tough for a 190 pound guy to make people miss and make big plays. So there, there's something there, you know, and, and it really is going to be fascinating. He ran back a couple of kickoffs. You know, he had, a, I believe, a catch and a run on those those four touchdowns. So he, he can he can take it the distance. My stat is similar, but again, he put these stats up as a running back. He averaged the fourth most rushing yards and the sixth most all purpose yards in the Pac-12 in 2020. So we know it's there. I do worry about him between the tackles, but if he's not being used as a running back, that becomes less important. Um, We know he can get lots of... uh, Would you agree, though, that his pro day was not representative of his tape? That's what I thought. I was surprised. You know, I mean, I, I would have thought a sub seven three cone drill that that's kind of the cutoff for like, are you shifty and quick or not? And for him to turn in a seven, three, one, it was it was honestly one of the most surprising individual metrics I've seen from all the pro days. Most years I look at the numbers. OK, do they jibe with what I see? Yes. OK, fine. If they're out of whack a little bit, I make a note. This was so far out of whack that I didn't know what to do with it. I mm-hmm. mean, and there are some players who aren't great at running the three code. Like it's one of the, like, where do I go? You know what I mean? It takes a second to, if they haven't done it a lot, you know? Um, so I don't know if that was just poor preparation or if he had an injury that we don't know about, but it was surprising. But the, what he did at the senior bowl is he was really good down there. Yeah. I was just going to say the, to me, the pro day numbers were especially confounding, if you will, coming off of his performance at the senior bowl. It didn't right. seem to make sense. And I think the thing that he does, I mean, like maybe, the testing numbers, the speed numbers weren't 
maybe the acceleration doesn't show up in that. I, that was the, the, because I think the thing that he does so well is that he just gets to it so fast. You know, yeah. he may not have, he may not be a fast sprinter overall, but he can get to speed so quickly. And obviously that's partially because of his size. Yep. I also thought that his ball skills as a receiver were really, really good. And even the way that he stiff arms, he's not going to stiff arm like Marshawn Lynch or some power back, right? Like that's right. not the way, but he like has this, he's kind of, he like has this swat about him. Like he swats behind. And that to me like was a little detail that stuck out on tape because I was like, oh, I think he knows what he can do and who he right. is, which is showing up more and more in some of these prospects we're going to talk about today because it's it's like I I'm not the guy who's going to plow over you but I can't swatch you away. Yep. I, I yep. don't know. I, I found that little piece illuminating, gave me a little bit more. Um, made me feel a little bit better about the pro day numbers. Who though yep. are you comping him to? Yeah, I mean the guy who he sort of reminds me of another player who was sort of shuttled back and forth between running back and wide receiver early in his career is J.D. McKissick. It's a good one uh, from Washington, and I mean he you know he caught a bunch of balls last year, you know, and he's sort of always been that strong receiver who can also run the football a little bit. I was gonna take a slot guy, but I thought you know the McKissick comp is almost too on the nose because of the backgrounds of both players. Now he maybe have a little more natural ability than J.D. does, but. You know, we've seen some some explosive moments from McKissick at times. And, you know, I mean, he's had, you know, but for the most part, he's sort of a reliable uh, sort of third or fourth receiving option who you bring in and you're not going to ever really feature. So that's kind of who he reminded me of. But because McKissick had a little fantasy relevance at one point, I thought um, I got to stick with that one. But I like your comp, too. I think, you know, it's it's a it's a good one. I mean, it's bold, but it's a good one. Well, I actually think your comp is better because I think narratively it speaks perfectly to what Felton's value might be at the next level because we are talk we are talking about Washington's backfield and Antonio Gibson was a player that was one of these hybrid pr- players, right? Like yep. uh, was a wide receiver, had experience as a wide receiver, playing running back in the NFL. And when that happened, everyone assumed that he was going to be the workhorse that he was right. going to be utilized in every single passing situation and on passing downs. And in fact, McKissick, much to many of the Antonio Gibson truthers, myself included, dismay, it didn't like Gibson got his, but it wasn't a foregone conclusion that McKissick was no longer going to be involved. And so the fact that Felton reminds you of McKissick and we're dealing with in that backfield, another player who's a hybrid, I think kind of blows the whole thing open. Yeah. I love that. I, I thought he reminded me a lot of Naheem Hines, but I also am willing to admit that that is an imperfect comp because I don't think he's going to play running back at the next level. Right. I mean, the thing with Hines, though, was always, you know, was he going to move to slot receiver coming out? Was he going to be a running back? So that that same kind of narrative existed with Hines, but he, I, you know, he tested a little better. He had that blazing speed and everything coming out. So, but style-wise, I think it wouldn't shock me at all to see him used in very similar ways where he's going to get a healthy amount of passes on certain days. If they need him to be a running back, he could. I mean, that's the beauty of it. Is you essentially have another free backup at, at two spots. That's true. And it will, I think a lot will determine too the creativity of the offensive play caller where he goes, because we could see him being used on some gadgety pa- uh, packages, but and I do think that he'll have the ability to lean into those and learn them pretty quickly but, you know, if he's on a, on a more traditional offense, then perhaps that's not as likely. Uh, give me your landing spots for him. Yeah, I came up with a few because, again, we're talking about a day three guy. You never really know how it's going to end up. But I, I came up with the Vikings. You know, they could use probably a a, um, a slot receiver, certainly. I mean, they have their top two. That's as good as a duo as there is. But I think they could use that third option. And it would be nice to... You know, if uh, if they needed a running back as a third guy, I think he could step in and do it and kind of be a change of pace player. Broncos just lost Philip Lindsay. I would think they would want someone in that mold, less so as a slot receiver for them. But then I mentioned the Patriots earlier, and I, I, I just added them to the list because, you know, they have connections to the UCLA staff. Bill and Chip are close. You know, they've had coaches who've been on the staff there. Uh, you know, I think there's a possibility that they could take somewhat of a value. Normally, they love the big three cone testers, so that would go against it a little. But at the same time, you know, if he's floating out there in the fifth or sixth round, I think they know he's a better football player than what he showed at Enos Pro Day. 
that's the kind of value that New England tends to scoop up, and they 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 find those guys, you know, Shane Vereen and and mm. you know James White and all those cats, and I could see him being in that same type of role or being your more of your you know your Edelman role as a slot receiver, and if, even if he's not that good. That is the juicy part. I was waiting for you to mention that with Edelman obviously retiring. I was like, oh, yeah. come on, Eric, get there. Do you have bring any it, intel? <laughs> can't, can't, can't say he's the next Julian Edelman. I can't go there. <laughs> but there is, a, there is a, a, a quality about him that I can't quit. I mean, I ranked him like 120th in this class, and I had him, I think, 88th at one point. I just couldn't keep him in there after the pro day, and I've been hearing he's more of a round five guy than he is a round three guy. So – it made sense to drop him, but I'm I'm still with him. I like this player. I, I like him a lot, too. That's why I advocated for him to be on the list. And from a yeah. fantasy perspective, I really love the fact that I know our users who are so loyal and vocal and engaging will absolutely advocate to make sure he has dual eligibility, which yes. gives him wonderful fantasy value. Thank you so oh. much, Ty Montgomery, for the headaches and the ulcers <laughs> we will never forget. <laughs> He he was a legend, right? In the fantasy world. I mean, he first of all, he wears the 88 as a running back now. I mean, he's got so many like innovative things about Ty Montgomery, underrated, right? Well, this is not the day to get into changing football numbers on jerseys. <laughs> That's so. true, right? All right. Well, <laughs> we'll move we'll move along. But I do think for that reason, like fantasy, whether or not you're like I don't know how people are consuming this podcast, right? If they're like, oh, these are names I need to know to see where they land. But I'm telling you now, as someone who is interested, so if you are solely interested in fantasy, check to see if this kid, not just where he lands, but how he is going to be listed because the dual eligibility right. is worth the stash. Yep, absolutely. I agree. All right, now let's move along to a to a wide receiver. There's no question about it that Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota is in fact a wide receiver Interestingly, here's a fun fact. He lettered in basketball. That's not the interesting point. The interesting point part of that is that his mom, LaShonda Cromer, played point guard in high school herself. She is a character, by the way. In a lot of the interviews I read, uh, she said at one point that she was out. At some, his, he was in some peewee league, some peewee football youth league. And one of the coaches was like, oh, wow, that kid. Like, I imagine his daddy is out there working with him every day. And she was like, excuse me? <laughs> Uh, I'm out there working with him every day. She raised him by herself. And so I just wanted to give her a shout out because I thought that yeah. that was a, like an awesome tidbit. And clearly she did well as a basketball star. He lettered in basketball and you can see that basketball ability show up on his tape. He went to Minnesota. He made an immediate impact as a, tr as a true freshman, started all 13 games in his first year at Minnesota. He also broke the Golden Gophers freshman records in receptions and receiving yards, scored six TDs along with that. In 2019, started all 13 games again, upped his productivity, only nine more catches, by the way, but nearly doubled his yardage and number of scores to 11. Ended the year as a, and a, a Bolitnikoff Award finalist. In 2020, though, Everybody had a crazy 2020. Uh, it is worth mentioning that he has been asthmatic since childhood. He contracted COVID-19 over the summer, had a scary bout with it, a rather trying battle. When the Big Ten decided they weren't going to play, he decided to opt out. Yep. Then when they reversed that decision and decided to have an abbreviated season, he opted back in. And then there was an outbreak in November within the locker room of the Golden Gophers. And so he didn't want to get it again. He was like, no, right. thank you. Uh, and so he opted out again. So it's, you know, he's not, his 2020 numbers aren't really representative, surely not of the prior two seasons, definitely not of his 2020, 2019 season, but also another one of these players who like kind of got dinged because of 2020. Yeah. And yet, I mean, he averaged you know, like 90 yards a game. I mean, he was still productive. It was, there was so much going on at Minnesota. And you mentioned a lot of the the issues there. I thought he played heavy. I thought he looked a little overweight. I mean, well, he looked. He, he lost looked, it. Yeah, it's so strange <laughs> to me because he looked kind of sluggish out there and he looked like he'd sort of, you know, like I had three Thanksgivings straight in a row or something like that. I couldn't figure it out. You know, he weighed fine at his, at his pro day. He was actually pretty light. He was 190 pounds, I think, but you know, he still had 300-yard games. He still, you know, had a, a really good game, I thought, against Iowa, except for the fumble, but or the, the drops, I mean, not the fumbles, but, 
Yeah, you're right. Nothing. Pay, I mean, it pales in comparison to his 2019 tape when he was dynamic. He was often the best player on the field at times. He looked like a clear cut, no doubt, first round pick. And, you know, you watch the way he tore up Purdue or Penn State. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other Wisconsin. I mean, he really gave them a, a bad ride. So it was just like one game after another. You know, he had a couple of duds, but 2019 tape, you know, gets the uh, the greater than sign uh, next to the 2020. And the results still weren't that bad. So I, I still like him quite a bit as a prospect. And what word would you use to describe him? Yeah, he's fluid. That's that's he's smooth. Like, I mean, that's that's the fluid was the first word I wrote in one of my scouting reports when I was just sort of jotting down notes because he's, you know, in terms of just route running uh, ability, I would say maybe Devontae Smith is first, you know, and then Jamar Chase. I actually take that back. I would say Bateman is a tech, quote unquote, better route runner than Jamar Chase. Jamar gets away with some stuff because. You know, he's, he's a little bit of a different animal. I think he's a little more physical and a little better athlete. But, you know, just in terms of how smooth and clean they are, he doesn't round off his routes. He makes sharp cuts. You know, he gets open. He separates despite, I mean, I know he ran a four four one. To me, I don't think he plays quite that fast. So it really is the route running that helps get him open. Yeah, I, I love that you're mentioning this. Um, the word I wanted to use to describe him was available because I mm. think he plays in a way that makes him consistently available to his quarterback, whether it's working back to the ball, whether it's via his catch radius, which does feel bigger than his six feet, 190 would allow you to think, you know, he's got a, the 2019 tape is full of those crazy one-handed grabs, you know? Yep. Um, And the precision of his route technique, Um, the double moves are fire. And, And I think that he's just, You know, you said Jamar Chase is a different kind of animal because he's just more athletic. That, to me, is the problem with Bateman, is that he's not like a metrics maven. He's not some sort of measurables god. He's just kind of smart and good at what he does. He might be, this is coming to me, I'm sure no, he might be like the Mac Jones equivalent of wide receivers. (laughs) You know, he just kind of, he's smart, he's precise. And he wants to contribute and compete. And he's, he's, but the question is without these like numbers, without the bigger size too, will he be more than a number two at the next level? Well, you know what, this debate, if we had blocked out the names or whatever, like you could have thought this was Calvin Ridley a few years ago, like in the, in the, you know, Ridley's pre-draft workouts, you know, his 40 time was good. Everything else was fine he's not a especially big guy i'm not saying that's my comp for him but i'm saying we could have had that discussion coming out with calvin ridley where you know there was a lot of debate about is he truly an elite athlete he doesn't have the elite Mm. size you know he had some drops his last year at alabama you know what exactly is this a first round pick and he ended up sliding and i think you know in a redraft of that year he would have gone higher so i think there's some overlap there as far as how they can win and that doesn't always get reflected in some of the workout times or the height, weight, speed stuff. But <laughs> Calvin Ridley was drafted as a number two initially and had and the reps under point. one of the best ever to now be, I think, a wide receiver one, you know? So maybe Would you, yeah. it's, it's progress. I, I think to me that um, the reason I am willing to lean towards his ceiling is because, and here are some numbers that work in his favor. <laughs> yeah. I, his breakout age is in the 94th percentile. And for those people listening who aren't like familiar with breakout age, it represents an age when the wide receiver first achieves a dominator rating of at least 20% wide receivers who break out before age 19 are considered phenoms. His is 18.8. So he's still young. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I mean, I think there's a lot of sort of untapped ability and, you know, I mean, he's 21 years old, but, but we're we're talking about a player who I think could be very good and and kind of belie some of the size questions a little bit. He's you mentioned the body control, the competitiveness. There's there's a lot to like in him, but there's also enough enough trap doors there where I'm not you know full blown mad in love. I'm not making him a top twenty prospect, but you know I've got him just outside that range, and I think for good reason. I mean my my interesting stat is it's kind of different than yours. It's almost like the consistency rating. Yeah, he had a couple games where he didn't put up monster yard totals and some where he went crazy, but 31 games in college, Liz, 
31 games with at least one catch. That tells me something, right? From the day you step onto the team, you're part of the game plan. They're going to throw to you. That That's impressive to me. He had more than half of those games, 16 of them had five or more grabs. So again, mm. it just shows that they wanted, and they had Tyler Johnson, who you know was a, a, a contributing receiver for the uh, the world champs this year. They had a... Uh, you know, a couple of good running backs too, who were part of the mix there. You know, PJ Fleck is is a receiver, so he knows good talent. He knows how to coach him up. But this was on Bateman, sort of grabbing that lead role, and and there was no way they were going to go a game without throwing him at least five, six, seven passes. I mean, so you said you wouldn't put him inside your top twenty, but he's close. So where are you grading him overall? Yeah, I gave him a six point oh, and had he had he had he tested a little better, had he been a little bit bigger. That would have given him a first round grade. 605 is my cutoff for round one. And that puts him 28th mm. overall. I only think I had 20 or 21 first round grades this year. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but the category is possible immediate starter. So I felt like he was good enough to not quite get that first round grade, but good enough to be able to step in and possibly be a second or third wide receiver from Jump Street. So you know, it's kind of right in that sweet spot in the middle there. And who are you comping him to then? It was a tough one. I, yes. I couldn't quite couldn't quite figure out the exact guy I wanted, but he reminded me a little of Nelson Aguilar, who was this, you know, maybe style wise a little bit, a little bit off on that one. But body frame is similar. Aguilar wins deep, even though he doesn't have blazing speed. You know, I think his route running has really come out in the last few years. We've seen him turn into this. Uh, well, turn into a target that the, the Patriots would pay for. That's that's notable, but also sort of outplaying some some bigger name guys in, in Las Vegas. So, you know, that was the first one that I came up with, but I didn't love it. It was I'm sure there's a better one out there. Who I don't got? love mine either, honestly. Okay. Um, I, Readers, I listeners, we got to we got to have you guys help us. Yes. Yeah. If you guys have ideas. I mean, I went with Keenan Allen. I don't love it. Um, I don't love it because I think Justin Jefferson is better than Bateman was yeah. I think Justin Jefferson yes. last year was better than Bateman is right now. And correct. Allen was my comp for Jefferson last year. And I'm not anticipating that Bateman will do what Jefferson, even if he landed in as ideal a position, will do what Jefferson did in his rookie effort. So I think that that's a really high ceiling comp. And I'm not quite sure that Bateman will ever get to the level of being an outside receiver that when he does play the outside, Keenan Allen, um, where he thrives. If he, when Keenan Allen plays on the outside, Bateman will never be as good as Keenan Allen when he does that. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And as we were talking here, I kind of came up with another name. What about Robert Woods? Like that guy who, there's nothing all that physically impressive about him, except when you watch how graceful he is and you watch, he's got a little, you know, he's got some competitiveness you know, he's carved out a role in that offense in L.A. Like, that's almost the kind of guy we're talking about here. A little different, but, I mean, I I, I can see some over at the lap to Woods. But those points you made about Allen are, are right, even if he's not he's not that level of player yet. But I, but, I, but I like the points you made about it. No, well, thank you. I think Woods is – it'll be interesting to see how Bateman's blocking comes along because yep. that's something about Woods that I think is really underrated about his skill True. set. Good point. Yep. All right, where are we placing him? He's on that. He's on the round one, round two bubble. Obviously, yeah. Chicago and Tennessee are possibilities if he goes in round one. But where are you placing him? A little lower than that, but I, I could see both of those work. And I went with the Ravens, and mm-hmm. I, and I think that with with Hollywood Brown there, you know, you've got sort of the bigger guy in, in Miles Boykin. You drafted a couple late round slot guys in James Prochet and Devin Duvernay, middle round, late round guys. I still feel like they need another body there. You know, their tight end room isn't nearly as as uh, powerful as it once was. I could see a guy like Bateman going in there and just getting that kind of basketball sense with Lamar Jackson. That's what I loved about there was there were a handful of plays where uh, Minnesota's quarterback Morgan would go off script and try to like make something out of nothing. He's not that guy, but he tried it and there was an intuitive sense uh, in what Bateman did about coming back to the football, working his way back. That I said, I think this guy would work really well with a scrambling quarterback. So give him to Lamar Jackson and let him, let him thrive there. I wait. 
I hadn't thought of that, to be honest. But the thing that I, as I said earlier, liked the most about Bateman was his ability to work out, work back to his quarterback and yeah. be available. And that does seem like, because initially I was like, well, Duvernay is there and they, you know, just drafted him. So he seemed to be the Willie Sneed replacement in the slots. And do they really need another one? But I, I am hearing that. I think that's a great, now I'm going to, I'm going to be optimistic for that. It would work well there, I think. Yeah, I, I still believe Devin Duvernay is going to be a very good player for them. But I, I, you know, Hollywood Brown has been up and down, injured, not not available, not available, unlike your guy, you know, Bateman. So I, I can see it working pretty well. All right, let's talk about another slot receiver. Very different player, though, than Bateman. Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. I love that he initially committed to Georgia. And then Ole Miss definitely had some recruiting issues because of uh, – the whole freeze scandal, but um, more after committing to Georgia and he's like from South Florida. So that Georgia, Florida line to me is all sort of, sort of the same. And then in December of his senior year, he's like, nah, you know what? I am actually going to go to Ole Miss after all. And yep. the first, you know, he did the first two years, that was a very run heavy offense. And it obviously didn't work well because, Lane Kiffin was hired <laughs> in yeah. 2020, and that is when Moore caught fire. Um, you know, he converted 86 of 101 looks for 1,193 yards and eight touchdowns over just eight games. Incredible. There's gifts of the Lane Kiffin clipboard flip, right? Like this is one of the most exciting, was one of the most exciting players in college football last year. Um, but in terms of his ability or the excitement about him heading into the NFL, you know, we're talking about another little guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the theme this year is the number of slot guys, the undersized guys. And it's not just Devonte Smith. It's, yeah. you know, it's 178 pound, you know, Elijah Moore. I mean, that that's still, still a big man's game. That's still the issue with, with some of these guys. Yeah, they're talented. They're quick. They're fast. They're great hands. But the size thing leads to more injuries. And if you're not available, you can't play. Teams move on quickly from these types of players. So I, I, that, that's definitely a great point. Uh, and for the record, it was the, the, the gif that I am referencing, the Lane Kiffin clipboard throw gif, was on a 91-yard play that Moore ripped off against South Carolina. And y'all And I and I think he did another one too. I could be wrong about this, but I think there was a second clipboard flip ah. and both of them were Elijah Moore plays. So, he knew what he was getting. Like all all Moore needed was a step and all Lane needed to do was see it. Oh, we're going to launch it. Better not drop those passes though, you know. And I think it's telling that Lane Kiffin was all in on this guy. I mean, he made him a key piece of this of this offense. And, yep. and to me that's telling. What was the word though that you thought that came to mind when you were watching him. Yeah, just the volume that you spoke about. I mean, the fact that he had as, as many catches as he did, you know, that they, they had him used in kind of different roles and, and you know, tried their best to get the ball in, in his hands. It wasn't a very diverse passing game that they used him on. I mean, he ran about the same four routes over and over again, but the fact that that they just kept feeding him the ball is notable because we talked about the 178 pounds and the injury thing. I mean, if you have a guy who is catching 86 passes, and I think he had over 100 targets last year, they used him in other ways too, he held up. I mean, it was an eight-game season. NFL is now a 17-game season. Another reason to fear the little guys. But still, uh, he handled a big, big load for that team and, and, and responded with great stats. I wrote down <laughs> astronaut. Okay. <laughs> Just hang with me for a second. Sometimes yeah. you get loopy, by the way, especially if you watch you know, a number of 91 plus yard plays being ripped off. Yeah. I wrote astronaut because all he does is navigate space. Yeah. I that like it. I like is it. it. The yak ability is bananas. His ability to separate, even for a little guy, obviously not using, you know, physicality and strength, but using speed and burst, always a threat to go big. He's like one of these like little dogs with a big bite. Um, yep. It'll be, it's interesting as we're talking about these players, like we can evaluate them independently and individually, but how they fit when there are so many, so many with overlap in their skill set is, is going to be, I think, more of the puzzle coming together, you know, than like, oh, who is this player? What does he do? But like, we have a lot of these players who do similar things. Right. How do we, is there an inventory issue? Is there a need? 
Yeah, I was sorry. I was thinking of the little dog. I was thinking of his uh, egg bowl celebration from a couple oh. years ago. Yeah, I thought that's where you were going with. It. I was waiting for like this punchline, and I thought, oh, she's not going to do it, right? So, no, uh, no, th- yeah, it's it's a fair question though. There is some some real overlap, and you end up kind of you know putting five guys next to each other and say, who do I like better? You know, and and there there are times when Kadarius Tony looks like the better player. There are times when Devonte Smith is it's just it's it's a a tough little experiment, but you end up doing that a lot when there's so many like this. Well, then give me a stat that sets Elijah more apart from the other guys just mentioned. I, I should have done a little more variety in what I chose, but 86 catches for a 5'9 guy. I mean, again, it just in, in eight games, that's in a, in a 12 or 13 game season, that's phenomenal. But, you know, Lane Kiffin, as you pointed out, trusted him. You know, he spent time in Alabama. I think he knew how to use the, that type of receiver. They've had a few of them over the years. And not to make light of it, I mean, the, the, the Egg Bowl celebration was a huge thing at the end of the 19th season. Yeah. Both teams had horrible years. That was like the culmination of it. And it really did become a huge talking point all summer long for this kid. We don't really talk about it anymore because he had a great season. He put that behind him. So some of that mental toughness in there, he's, he's a competitor. and I like this kid. And I think he's got a little chip on his shoulder, even if he isn't, you know, the biggest dog on the block. Well, you mentioned the Egg Bowl celebration, and it was a bit of an homage to DK Metcalf, also a rebel. The stat that I want to use references A.J. Brown, another Ole Miss alum. Moore was just 127 yards shy of A.J. Brown's 2018 record of 1,320 yards, which, by the way, was set over a 12-game span that's four fewer outings than Moore had, again, speaking to the word you used, volume. Yeah, which is incredible. I mean, right, you don't expect somebody like that to be able to, you know, even come close to that kind of a mark. And and I think the only team I'm trying to remember, I believe it was Arkansas, was like the only team to hold him under, I want to say, 11 catches in a game this year, something like that. I mean, Arkansas, or no, it was Auburn. I believe it was Auburn. I take that back. Arkansas, he he definitely had a big day against, so... Auburn, he had five grabs for, you know, 30 yards or whatever it was. Every other team, he went double digits in catches. He scored a slew of touchdowns at the end of the year. Put a heart on Alabama. He caught every single pass that was thrown his way and, and you know, just kept kept sticking knives in him. And when you do that against Alabama, I mean, that, that, that says a little something extra. All right, well, give me a comp and a landing spot. Yeah, I mean, this is not, I'm not going to say he's going to become this type of player or that he has the personality of this guy, but style-wise, very similar to Antonio Brown. Like, if you looked at Antonio Brown at Central Michigan coming out of school and you saw some of his highlights and then you did the same thing uh, and put Elijah Moore's tape on, they would look like roughly the same player. Brown obviously gained a little weight and got turned into one of the best receivers before the off-field stuff happened. Um, but that's style-wise the kind of player he is. Most guys don't, I mean, he tested better, but still, you know, most guys don't become Antonio Brown, but that was sort of the, the, the first guy that came to mind. But you, you have a pretty good one as well, I think. I like the Antonio Brown comp because of the work ethic attached and the yeah. mental toughness. Um, I'm Antonio Brown, obviously, now in a different situation than he was previously when he first began his career. And you mentioned more working through some perceived issues. I mean, mostly everyone was just, not, no one was mad about the celebration. They were just mad at right. the game. Um, but working through that, and, you know, Lane Kiffin says that he's Steve Smith, that Elijah Moore is Steve Smith. I think that's probably generous, but I think what he's getting to is, again, the toughness, the bully, the, you know, work ethic, the leaning into, I'm not what you think I am. I... I'm going to go with Tyler Lockett, who I loved coming out initially. I think that there's all three of these players are, you know, there's some overlap in their ethos, if you will. And I, and I like that about, um, about more. Tyler Lockett's highlights in college were absurd. Like they were ridiculous. And I just thought, you know, even with the size, he's going to turn into a player and he has, I mean, he's become a, you know, he made an all pro team and everything. So yeah, that's that's a really darn good one. Does he have the the deep route running ability that Tyler Lockett does? Not yet, but he can get there. You know, he had a, they just didn't ask him to do it that much in college. I would love to see him expand his game, and and I think he can do it. I think he's 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 got that kind of game breaking ability. 
Well, and he was able to do it between 2019 and 2020. I mean, that was a massive shift in offense between those two seasons. So I think even at his young age, he was able to handle it. And Tyler Lockett, by the way, when I'm talking about like personalities and ethos, the Tyler Lockett that came out of college, you know, a couple of however many years ago now, I don't remember his exact draft class, was not the same like into like seeing the world. And like he's he's matured and grown up and found other interests. He played with a chip on his shoulder coming out too. Yep. And, you know, and it took him a couple of years to really reach that that level that we know for Tyler Lockett now. I mean, there was some, you know, he was sort of the, the third or fourth guy there at times. He was more of a kickoff guy, but, you know, now he's a integral part of their offense. And, and I can see that happening with more where, you know, he's sort of a bit player at first. You see that big playability and you want him to come get that bigger role. So I could I could see that that overlap right there. All right. Let's round things out with another wide receiver. Oh, I mean tight end, but actually <laughs> wink wink. He's a wide receiver. It's Kyle Pitts. I I mean, I think what's fascinating personally about Pitts is that he wanted to play tight end. No questions asked. He always wanted to play tight end. He was playing quarterback and linebacker in high school, transferred high schools because he wanted to play tight end. When he transferred uh, from Abington, these are both schools, by the way, just out of Philadelphia, outside Mm -hmm. of Philadelphia, to Archbishop Wood, the coaches at Archbishop Wood were still like, no, 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 man, we want you to play defensive end. And he was like, no, I will play tight end as well. Like, you got to let me have a shot at it. And it's fascinating that, like, you know, as a teenager, he was like, I know what I want to do. And also, side note, that I'm going to say Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey have popularized the position to such a degree that there are kids who are, you know, uh, God, those guys are both 30-something now. So what, like 15 years younger than them wanting to play tight end? That never existed 15, 20 years ago. No, the, the position has just evolved at such a rapid rate. And the fact that Pitts is like, give me, tight, not wide receiver, I want to play right. tight end. And eventually he he helped the, uh, I believe the, the, the Vikings, I believe, the Archbishop Wood Vikings. He lead the, led them to a state championship. He appeared in the 2018 Under Armour All-American game. Only caught one ball, but it set him up for a touchdown. Committed to Florida. First year, womp womp. Not exciting. A reserve tight end, mostly playing on special teams. But this kid was like, I will play tight end. Yep. In that that year, his first year in Gainesville, three catches, 73 yards. Okay, a touchdown, but three catches in the whole. uh, That's it. I think he played it in 11 games. Yep. Then 2019 happened. And like, this is the breakout that nobody saw coming, but everybody is here for because he is like far and away the most exciting, highly ranked player at the position. He's probably going to go in the first, like, six slots. Like, there's no way he's falling outside of the top six in this draft. Maybe the top ten, but that would not happen. So what he has managed to do since high school to college, I mean, I can't even, we don't have the time for me to rattle off all of the honors that he has been awarded with and all of the records that he broke in Florida. It's bananas. I mean, he caught 97 balls over 21 games in 2019 and 2020. Yep. I mean, that's, that's why I called him a unicorn. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a different dude. And I knew, excuse me, I knew coming into the year that I was going to like him a lot. I'd watched the 2019 tape. I'd seen the flashes by the end of the year. He really did become their, their go-to guy. They still didn't feature him enough though. You know, like when they were, you know, just outside the red zone, they'd throw a screen to the other side of the field or, you know, they didn't get other, some other concept. And I thought you gotta, you gotta get this guy the ball and you gotta let him go up and jump for it. You know, it was interesting too. I, I read an interview too, where he was talking about how he grew from like six foot tall when he was a freshman in high school to six foot five. And he's even, he's almost six, six now by the end of his high school. So he really saw a growth spurt there. So I think he had the little man wide receiver ish ability in this burgeoning tight end frame a little bit. And mm. yeah, it was, it all came together kind of the end of last year, but then this season was just star Wars. It was ridiculous. And you score 12 touchdowns on any team in eight games, you know, you're, you're doing something right, especially <laughs> with Kadarius, Tony, Trevon Grimes, you know, I mean, t- two other weapons who in any other offense would have been the feature guy. This time it was the tight end. 
it, it is wild. I mean, when I was watching, when I was watching his tape, I immediately heard, and you're going to like this because it's an old reference. It's from the early aughts, though, not the not okay. the seventies. So um, <laughs> I heard the <laughs> I heard the Outcast song. I like the way you move, like the way yeah. you move that. And and that was I wrote as my one word Outcast because I was just I like, like oh damn, the way you move is bananas. He's he's big, and yep. th- he could also be like the next member of the MCU. You know, like I don't know which Avenger you want to make him, but he right. would be easily cast as the newest MCU or Avenger movie starring this guy. Yeah, I mean, he's got a frame that you reasonably could project him to like put on forty pounds and play offensive tackle. I mean, just from just a body frame structure, right? He's got an eighty-four inch wingspan, you know, ten like almost eleven inch hands, ten and five eighths or whatever it is. You know, 33 and a half inch arms. He's like built like Adonis. Um, and I think it's still put on more weight. He's 245, which is, you know, I mean, I, I'd like to see him in that 250, 255 range. And I don't think he'll lose any speed. He ran a 4-4 at his, at his pro day, ran close to a seven second three cone drill, which is good. You know, the explosive drills, though, the stuff that you want to see, the vertical jump and the broad jump both pass the test. So, yeah, he, he's a workout monster, but you see it in his his ability to high point the ball, adjust on in the midair, great body control, great sideline presence too. Getting he does both feet sometimes. NFL, uh, he's already prepping for the league. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there's so much there. It is uh, when he. I watched the uh, 2019. It was in our, an October game in 2019 against LSU. They mm-hmm. actually lost. Yeah. Florida lost, but watching great game, great game. Oh, for Pitts, it was off. It was some of my favorite tape because watching. Delpit, like, kind of not want to deal with him. <laughs> he wanted no part of it. No, it was, I was just like, oh, wow. I had, like, you know, I'm re- it's been a year. I'm revisiting it. And I was just like, oh, what? And Delpit's, by the way, in the NFL now, right? <laughs> yeah, right. He won the, the Thorpe Award, best right. TV in the nation that year. He shouldn't have won it, but still, right? I mean, that says something about and it. And he yeah. was definitely like, nah. Nah, man. Like you can, I think also in that game, for what it's worth, I'm. I have to look back at my notes, but I believe Pitts went over a hundred yards in that game, even though Florida lost. Yeah, I mean that was that was Kyle Trask's sort of breakout game, and he played well before that. But I thought that was the game where he showed, you know, he belonged, and it was Kyle Pitts's game too. And those two kept hooking up time and time again. You know, LSU had to change the way they defended him in that game. They realized, look, this this isn't working. And really, no matter what people tried in, in 2020, it didn't work. And I, I worry that we're maybe setting the bar too high, but as far as like first year fantasy production, but he he's going to do something. There's no doubt. I, I You're probably right. We'll get to that in a second. Let's run through just a couple of stats since we gave everybody else their due. Um, I'll go first. You know, <laughs> you mentioned him still like like his growth spurt and him still potentially having the ability to grow into his body. And yep. all of the awesome metrics that you, I mean, his metrics are just bananas. I, he's 87th percentile spark athlete. Maybe yeah. that's not that, like he's not past 90, but to me, again, the breakout age was incredible. 96th percentile breakout age of 18.9. That's great. That's why I feel like we're going to go somewhere with him. I'm willing to be bullish, even with the fantasy and even with the like knocks against him is probably never being an inline blocker. Like he is basically a wide receiver, but durable, unlike Evan Ingram, for example, who is more of a wide receiver than a traditional tight end. Right. Yeah. And I actually thought his blocking effort was great. He's just, you know, he's got to work on his technique. He can lunge sometimes. But what I love about him is you can line him up in line. You can put him in the slot. You can line him up out wide. You can use him in motion. And he's effective doing all three. And I think in time, he's going to develop into a good blocker. I really do. I think he's got the work ethic. He's, they rave about him down there. They says he, they, he wants to be great. And one demonstration of that was the Florida coaches challenged him after 2019. They said, Kyle Pitts, you're a terrific talent. We're going to use you more. But you've got to stop dropping the football. So that brings me to my, my stat, which was in 2019 on 80 targets, he had six drops. That's a pretty high rate. You know, one every 12 or so uh, balls thrown his way. He bopped it. This year, on only 66 touchdown, uh, targets, rather, imagine scoring a, a touchdown every five passes you're throwing your way. Zero drops. That was the biggest difference was that he 
it looked like he was an exceptional receiver who never had any problems catching the football. The year before, maybe there were some concentration issues. He fixed it. He that's that's a testament to a guy who wants to work and has great talent. And maybe it's also evidence of a kid who knew exactly who he wanted to be and was willing to put in the work to put in the work fighting with everybody about what he was going to be and also the reps on the field necessary to prove them wrong. Yeah, and you know what's funny? While you were telling that story about him wanting to be a tight end too, there's one other funny little wrinkle for it, and fantasy people may find this amusing. He wanted to be Eric Ebron. Like, you know, and unfortunately, (laughs) right. I mean, like, (laughs) I think Jared Cook was the other guy that he mentioned. I I remember reading the story, and I believe it was those two because they were both kind of coming out around the same time. You know, Ebron is a, a talent, no doubt about it. A little disappointing, I think, from a production standpoint. Cook is like changing teams every two years. And sometimes he's hot, sometimes he's cold. I just thought the fantasy folks might find that a little amusing or a little bit frightening, one of the two. Well, I think we're going to that, – that's fine. Sometimes we have role models that aren't exactly like us. You and I have the same comp for him, though, and I think those uh, – that makes me feel a lot better about – using maybe a, a personal goal of Eric Ebron for, for Kyle Pitts. I think on the field, he looks a lot more like who I totally agree with your comp, by the way, have the yeah. same thing. Darren Waller. I mean, yeah. That, that, yeah, if you look just, if you, all you did was look at his height and weight, you know, or his, his height and length, I should say you would, you would land on Waller eventually because <clears throat> you know, the, the kid was always a freakish athlete. He was a high you know, a college wide receiver who transitioned and put on weight to become a, a, a pro tight end you know, had issues with substance abuse, took a while to get there. That's not the comp. The comp is the physical stature and the ability to turn into an elite receiver the last two years. Well, and the experience as a as a receiver and something, I don't know if people know this regularly, but Pitts is required and I believe asked to split time between the tight ends and the receivers room at Florida. That's great. Yeah, I didn't even know that. That's a good little nugget there. That's awesome. So he is, he's, you know, learning route refinement and all of the things that you would block tight ends naturally for. And that also is why I was like, he just, he moves differently, but he's got, he's such a flipping mismatch. It's going to be so exciting to watch what he does. And I think we might see him uh, ROI sooner than, you know, like, like Noah Fant, I feel like he's on everybody's list every year. And like, it's taking him a minute. I would, I would bet on Pitt's returning on investment faster than Fant has yet to. But where do you think he will land and give this offense a massive opportunity and leg up? I'm starting to get, and part of it is what I think is actually going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be amazing for him to go to Atlanta where you have Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, you know. So, you know, you go to this place where you're well insulated. They're not expecting you to catch two touchdowns a game from week one. You know, but it also makes sense too because Matt Ryan, I think, loves the tight end position. He had Tony sure. Gonzalez for years, right? I mean, he's got to imagine having two of them who can play and having two great wideouts, and they're expected to draft a running back at some point too to go with Mike Davis. So, I mean, it's hard to argue with that situation. And I think Atlanta's realizing they may not get the bonkers trade up. So that's, I went with the kind of obvious choice. I think it makes sense. I mean, I said earlier, I don't see him falling outside of the top six. Right, it, but you it, had a good sort of plan B too, though. I liked your your alternate, though. Yeah, I think Carolina at number eight could I be uh, an opportunity. Ian Thomas has yet to break Do out, anything. and yeah. that would be a, a, an interesting loaded offense with a lot of dynamic pieces. And you know, we saw we saw last year Curtis Samuel schemed into a lot of scoring positions. That's gone now. They need to make up right. the touchdown somewhere, and this could be an opportunity for Pitts. And yeah, hey, there's CMC will be back. And so it's not, you know, exactly the same, obviously. But I think that Pitts might be able to, I mean, you you mentioned his ability to like work on the concentration and just his experience as a defensive player might also be giving him a leg up that we're not factoring in here, even though it was yeah. at like the high school level. So could, um, could, he, could he make Sam Darnold look good though? That's the burning question right there. Well, Are you willing to go out that far out? <laughs> Why is his name escaping me? Probably because I have like, I'm still hurt by it. The tight end um, at the Jets that that broke out at the Chris end. Chris Herndon? Chris Herndon, right. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. there was a minute that Sam Darnold's best friend was, was Chris Herndon. I've been, I've been clinging to it. So maybe that's all Sam Darnold needs. He needs his new Chris Herndon. Sorry, Chris. We found you a new tight end. Although I don't know that Pitts gets to eight, but if he did, BFFs. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes yes. sense. All right. 
Um, Eric and I, next week is the draft. And then Eric and I will be back for a wrap-up, a wrap-up episode. But Eric, are there any, like, before we sign off, any, like, draft nugs that you can just mm. share with us? Any little somethings that can help tide us over for a week before the magic really starts? Yeah, I mean, I, I I keep hearing that Jamar Chase is the favorite in Cincinnati, so you would have a really interesting trio there with Higgins, Boyd, and Chase if that were to happen. Of course, Joe Burrow as well. And, it, you know, it may come down to Mike Brown, the owner, right? What does he want to do for Joe? Does he want to get him, you know, if Pitts is there, does that complicate the situation? Does he take the left tackle to protect Joe? Or have they done enough in free agency to help with that? Or does he go for that third wide out and really kind of recreate what LSU had, which was three pass catchers who could just dice you up and Joe Mixon, you know? So really it's, it's a very similar setup to what he had at LSU with four different pass catchers and Joe could get rid of the ball quickly. Some of those routes they call last year, slower developing AJ green wasn't separating. I mean, that's just a really interesting landing spot for me where he could, he could thrive right away. Be interesting to see what Miami would do then. Right, right. And I've heard Miami, look, I know they they did a great job of their smoke screen last year. They made everyone think it was Herbert, ended up being Tua. I mean, that wasn't the right call, but they did a great job of throwing everyone's scent off the trail a little bit. The, the latest rumor I heard through back channels, I haven't seen it on Twitter or anything like that, was the possibility of them eyeballing pits. So you would essentially go from three down to 12, back up to six, and then possibly have to move up to four and give up something to Atlanta to get pits. So as would they do as that? Tua and Gasecki gelled though. I mean, like that just doesn't make a whole bunch of sense to me. But hey, I, back channel info is what we're here for. Eric Edholm delivering the secret nugs on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast Rookie Snapshot Edition. I try to right. Hey, twelve personnel is popular these days. There's, I can see them doing it. You never know. I mean, they're both like wide receivers though but anyway that's like a that's like a whole new conversation there's a whole new (laughs) podcast which we can have but um andy barons on tuesday will be here to talk team needs going into the draft and then late thursday night after round one is over i'll be back with both matt Harmon and dalton del don to recap the first 32 picks there might be some alcohol involved i have a feeling that we'll be opening some things because it will be a long and late but Hopefully exciting evening. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is the brilliant at Eric underscore Ed Holm. Follow the Yahoo Sports College podcast as well. That has Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty on it. You can also follow Post It Up with Chris Haynes for all things NBA. But for now, we're out. 